We're celebrating a, a new year starting today. And as it's been said, maybe you're glad the old year is done. Maybe it was a tough year for you. Maybe you're looking forward to the new year for different reasons. I want to tell you about a particular day. This is a personal reflection. This was in August of 2009. We were living in York, Pennsylvania at the time, and it was a beautiful, sunny Saturday in York. I had just returned from a short-term missions trip with my son, Chad. Uh, he had, was just about to turn 14 at the time. He had turned 14 a week after we returned. And here's a picture of him. Um, that's him on the left, and then his friend, Derek Kraut, was with us as well. We were down there sharing the gospel, and I'll tell you what a thrill it is to watch your son share his own faith with somebody else, to explain the gospel to them, and then to pray with them to accept Jesus as the Lord of their life. It's one of the highlights of my life. Our oldest son, Derek, was preparing to start his sophomore year at Arcadia University, just north of Philadelphia. And our two uh, daughters, uh, one on each side of Chad age-wise, they were with friends that day. And Chad was spending the day with his mentor from the youth group. Uh, they were out, uh, both he and Chad were uh, with this mentor named Mark, and they were at a dairy farm that some friends of ours owned and they were filming something, kind of a skit, to go along with a lesson that they were going to teach to the youth group uh, sometime soon in the future. And after they were done filming, Chad and his friend Derek were going to stay and ride go-karts at this dairy farm. So Cindy and I decided to take advantage of this. We had beautiful weather. Uh, we had the day to ourselves. We're kind of free from... Uh, being parents for a couple of hours, so we decided we were going to go to a local lake about 15-20 minutes away from us. We put on our bathing suits, threw our beach chairs in the back of the van, uh, a couple of good books, some water, and decided to just relax and take advantage of that rare opportunity. And as we were doing so, I remembered that this uh, place we were going was kind of um, out in the, the sticks a little bit, and and cell phone reception was not good, so I decided to check my cell phone before we left. So I went to the back of the van and took my phone out of my backpack, and I saw that I had missed a phone call from Mark, Chad's mentor. Uh, so I called him back and asked him what was going on, and uh, he said the words that no parent wants to hear. He said, there's been an accident. Chad was go-karting, and it rolled over. And so Cindy and I said, we'll change our plans. We're on our way to the dairy farm right now. And we took off. It was about a 20-minute ride north on I-83 uh, to get there. And so as we're going, I told Cindy what little I had heard, uh, which wasn't much. And uh, we were going to meet them at the, the dairy farm and figure out what to do from that point. You know, were we gonna to need to go to the hospital, to the doctor, what was it we were gonna to need to do? And while we're on the way, Mark calls again, and since I'm driving, Cindy took the phone call, and uh, Mark said, this is a little bit more serious than we thought. Uh, there's an ambulance that's on its way, you guys should just turn around and head back to York Hospital. 
So we turn around, go south on I-83, back to York Hospital, another 25 minutes from where we had started. And we're just about to pull into the parking lot of the hospital, and we get yet another phone call. And Mark said, uh, what they're going to do is they're not going to York Hospital. Uh, we need some specialist help with this, so they're going to fly him by helicopter to Hershey Medical Center. And they're going to take him to the pediatric intensive care unit. So that is back the other direction again, 45 minutes north and west, or north and east. So now at this point, we've been driving for 45 minutes. We're going to head another 45 minutes on top of that, and we still really don't know what's happened or how serious things are. But we did know that Chad had a cut in his forehead. He had a possible concussion. And so Cindy started calling, making some phone calls. We figured we need people praying. And so what she did was she called our oldest son, Derek, and he was kind of our go-to guy, and he would call other people and let them know what was going on. As I pulled into the parking lot of Hershey Medical Center, and we went into the emergency room waiting area, I went to the receptionist, I told her who I was and why we were there, and um, she said something that you really don't want to hear. She said, there's a chaplain ready to speak to you. I'm sorry, I'm reliving this. <laughs> so it was at that point that we learned how serious the accident was. Even though the go-kart had a roll bar, even though Chad was wearing a helmet, even though that helmet had a safety shield over his face, and even though there was no damage to the go-kart, the helmet, or the safety shield, these are the, uh, what happened here. I'm going to show you a picture. His cheekbone was crushed. His eye socket was crushed. You can see things here that should not be here. His forehead had been split. The sinus cavity, the front wall behind that had been broken. The back wall had been broken. And the jagged edge of that back wall had torn the membrane surrounding the brain. And he was going to need neurological surgery to sew that membrane back together. He was going to need facial reconstructive surgery to repair the eye socket and the cheekbone, his forehead, and then to fuse the sinus cavities together so that he wouldn't have infection there. And then he would need plastic surgery so that he would remain as ruggedly handsome as his father. <laughs> I needed that too. We needed a break, didn't we? By the way, Chad's friend Derek had sustained serious injuries as well. He was sitting in the go-kart as a passenger, and he had his arm up like this holding on to the roll bar, and when it rolled that direction, it crushed all of the, the bones in his forearm, and he needed surgery and titanium plates to repair that. 
So Chad would need these three surgeries back to back to back, and it would last over eight hours. And he would have seven titanium plates permanently holding everything together. It was going to be a really long, difficult recovery. There were no guarantees as to what we would see when it was over. And we were told that our extremely active and athletic son would probably never play competitive sports again. Seeing our son lying motionless in that emergency room, his face bloody and misshapen, was almost too much to bear. I take that back. It would have been too much to bear if there hadn't been a network of believers who were praying for us. It wasn't long before our entire church family there was praying for us. Chad's youth group and everybody in that was praying for him. I had called the headmaster of Chad's school, who was a good friend of mine, and found out that he was at a picnic with all of the school staff. This was before school started. And they stopped what they were doing and began praying for Chad. Our extended families and their church families were praying. Cindy and I are both from California. Our families were praying there. Cindy's sister and her church family in Florida were praying. My sister and her church family in Idaho were praying. And I was the missions pastor at that church, and so I had a network of missionaries around the world that I contacted, and they began praying along with their churches in places like China, Taiwan, Austria, Australia, Brazil, the Philippines, Israel, Thailand, Turkey, Greece, France, and Jamaica. And of course, Chad had just returned from working with the church in Paraguay for the second year. And so they all knew him intimately, and they were praying for him as well. But those were long days. They were filled with fear and anxiety and questions about the future. But I can honestly say that Cindy and I never felt alone. We may have never felt more surrounded by tangible expressions of God's love. Over the next days and weeks and even months following the accident, we had people visiting, uh, notes that were sent to us, meals that were made. Somebody anonymously bought, I think it was about $100 of gas cards so that I could travel back and forth to Hershey to visit and not take a hit to our budget. Cindy was staying there um, while all of that was going on. Our church made sure that whatever wasn't covered by insurance was covered by them. But most of all, I've never felt more surrounded by prayer in my life. And during that time, one of the passages that I kept coming back to is found in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7. I want to read this for you. And as I'm reading it, and you can read along on the screen here, Uh, Look for some things that continue to come up. The Apostle Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, 
so also Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Did you notice something kind of come up over and over in that passage? The words comfort, compassion. Those two words give you a bit of trivia. There's over 783,000 words in the Bible. Those two words appear 31 times, all in the New Testament. 25 of those times in letters that Paul has written, 17 times in this book, 2 Corinthians, and in that short passage I just read, 10 times. But if you look a little bit closer, what you're going to see is not just the repetition of words. You're going to see purpose. Because our suffering is not without purpose. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we aren't born as compassionate people. You know, babies always wait to get hungry and tired or need their diaper changed at times that are convenient for their parents, right? Now, let me give you a personal example. When I was 13 years old, my grandfather had a very serious stroke. And I loved my grandfather, and I wanted to see him. I wanted him uh, to know that I cared and I loved him. So one day after school, my mom took my older sister and I to visit him in the hospital, and I was glad. I wanted to be there. But I noticed that the longer I was in that room with him, and, and I don't know if you've been around a stroke victim before. Probably most of you know or or just have heard, but you know, things are not the same. It usually affects one side of the body. And so when he smiled, only one half of his mouth was smiling. His speech was kind of slurred. It wasn't the same grandfather I knew. And the longer I was in that room, the more I had this overwhelming feeling of anxiety. And I felt like if I didn't get out of that room, I was seriously going to throw up. And so I had to, to basically bolt out of the room. And then to go along with that feeling, I felt guilty. Because I wanted to be there for my grandfather. But when my mom talked to me about it later, she said that she understood. She said that it's not uncommon to feel that way if you haven't been around people that have been seriously injured or are really sick. But I believe that God uses those times and for me specifically, the different times that I have been around family or good friends in the hospital to get me past that feeling of discomfort. So much to the place where that's become a normal part of my ministry as a pastor is visiting people in the hospital and it doesn't bother me. But it was through Chad's accident and recovery that God made me a much more compassionate person. Let's take a look at this passage a little bit closer. Paul is praising God for being the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, or the God of consolation. Paul is not telling us that God makes us feel good or relieved, but instead he's referring to his own present state of peace and mind in the adversity because of his confidence in God's willingness and ability to deliver his people. 
the experience of God delivering us in the past and knowing that once he's done that in the past and we know he promises us that he'll do it in the future, so we know that he'll do it for us today in in our present circumstances. I want us to look at a few verses from the Bible that tell us about God's character, and I want us to read these together. The first one is in Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. If you'll read with me, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. And the next one is from Psalm 94, verses 17 and 18, if you'll read with me again. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. And then the last one from Isaiah chapter 49, 13, one more time. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. See, our emotional comfort doesn't come from within ourselves. It comes directly from God's commitment to sustain and to uphold his people. Paul moved from a statement in verse 3 where he is saying who God is to a declaration of what God does in the beginning of verse 4 and then to God's goal for doing it at the end of verse 4. Because God is the God of all comfort, he comforts Paul in all his troubles so that in turn, Paul then has the ability to comfort others who are going through troubles. The resources that Paul uses to comfort people doesn't come from himself, it comes from God. It's God's faithfulness to Paul that allows him to be faithful in ministry. And for this reason, God is the one who needs to be praised. Even though Paul was the one who was bringing comfort, He is giving praise to God because God is the one who began this whole process. And it works the same day for today for you and me as it did 2,000 years ago for Paul. Because God, for us, has been a God of comfort. And he comforts you and I in all our troubles so that we in turn now have the ability to comfort others when we see them going through things. And usually uh, it's even more helpful if you're going through the same similar situations. It's God's faithfulness that enables us to do this. And it's God's commitment to deliver them just as he delivered us that brings that comfort. Now it's been said that no one is immune to suffering. Either you have been through it in the past or you're going to go through it, or you're currently in it. Now, it may sound like fatalism, but I think it's more like realism. Nobody is immune. Are you going through a difficult and agonizing time in your life right now? First of all, I don't want you to think that God has forgotten you, because that's not the case. And second, don't waste your experience. Use it to bring comfort to others. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Pastor Scott, you just told a story about your son, but you're not the one who really went through the physical suffering. You weren't the one who went through the surgery. You weren't the one who had the painful rehab. You weren't the one 
who went through nine months, yes, nine months of 24-7 migraine headaches. So you really don't have the right to tell me that I shouldn't waste my suffering. And if you're thinking those thoughts, I can understand why. So I've asked Chad to come and share his side of the story with you this morning. By the way, here's a current picture of the Titanium Brothers together at Derek's wedding last summer. I didn't turn it on. Hey guys, um, so yeah, that's me. Um, it was a nice day before I crashed. Um, Sorry for your ruined later. <laughs> um, but yeah, not wasting pain. It would have been easy for me to shut down with all that I went through, just get mad, um, depressed, feel lonely, um, even get hateful about what I was going through. But you know, I decided really early on in that field uh, with, with my feet propped up on a tire, uh, I decided that whatever was coming up, I wasn't gonna try to control it. I wasn't gonna try to go through it on my own. Um, Laying in that field, looking up at the sun, I decided that whatever was coming, it was going to be way too big for me to handle, and I had no idea what was coming. So I just kind of gave it to God at that point. And I got to say, over the next few months, that made a huge difference. Um, instead of being in the hospital scared, uh, overwhelmed by fear and sadness, anger, uh, there were moments of joy. And uh, that might seem impossible. But I promise, there were moments where I was just so happy. I mean, it went from seeing just pain and sorrow, fear in my parents' eyes to um, being able to stand up and walk around after a few days. <laughs> and I mean, it was amazing. It was incredible seeing doctors confused at how quickly I'd recovered. It was, it was amazing to me. Um, so that was incredible. And then even after I got out of the hospital, just seeing what God had done for me, I was like, all right, so you got me through the hospital. Let's see what else you can do with this. Um, since then, I've been able to tell this story not only uh, to people that I know, but across different countries, different continents, and I've seen God use it in ways that I never could have been able to be effective. I've seen people who were not paying attention to me at all. As soon as I brought out pictures, um, told this story, they were completely entranced by what I was saying, and I've seen people pray that we're cursing the name of God days before, and it's just been amazing to see. So I want to encourage you, when pain comes, don't run from it, don't hide from it, don't get mad, don't blame somebody else. Just ask God for help. He'll get you through it, and he'll use it for his glory. share, uh, I wasn't planning to do this, and hopefully I can get through it, but one of the uh, great blessings that we saw, Chad was still in the hospital, and uh, it was my father's birthday, um, 2,000 miles away, wishing he could be with his grandson, and so I called my dad and wished him happy birthday. I was by Chad's bed in the hospital, and I said, we have a present for you. And I handed the phone to Chad, and he says, 
Happy birthday, Grandpa. Yeah. My dad just went on and on, and what he didn't realize was that took all of Chad's energy, and he had fallen asleep. <laughs> but it really meant a lot uh, to my dad to see prayers being answered. Now, I don't want you to think that because Chad saw God's hand and his purpose in this terrible accident, that now everything is great and that Chad leads a pain-free life, because that's not true. God doesn't promise to take away every painful thing in our life, but he does promise to be with us and to never forsake us. And he promises to never waste anything, even our suffering. Let's look at a few heroes of ours from the Bible. Adam and Eve bore the sin of watching one son murder another one of their sons. All of Job's children were killed at the same time in a natural disaster. Abraham and Sarah had no children until it was way past the time when they were able to do so, even though God had promised. Isaac was deceived by his father-in-law and worked seven years and was given the other daughter. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers because they couldn't stand him. King David's own son betrayed him, tried to kill him, and slept with his wives in public to publicly humiliate him. And I could go on and on. The point is no one is exempt from pain and suffering. The difference is in how we handle it. I had considered asking Cindy to share from a mom's point of view today, but um, I decided there's not enough tissue in the state of Pennsylvania to dry up the tears that she would shed and maybe yours too. But when we're done this morning, if you would like to talk to me or to Chad or even to Cindy, if you want um, a woman's or a mom's point of view, we'll be here for you. I've asked some of the elders as well to come sit up in the front. Uh, if there are more people that, that need prayer. But we don't want to just walk away from today saying, oh, wasn't that a wonderful story? We want this to be a time of healing. Is your job as a follower of a Christ just to make it through with your faith intact? Or does God have more for you than just making it through? God has said these things. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And in Hebrews 10, 24, he said, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And from Romans 8, he said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to become the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There is a purpose for everything that we go through. I want to remind you that we are here to pray for you, to bring you hope and encouragement. 
just come forward afterwards. If you're not doing that, if you would just leave quietly today so that there's still a, a spirit of worship here. And let me give a closing benediction from Psalm chapter 27, where the author writes, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. God bless you and have a great 2017.